what's happening in the canine industry. For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Glenn, Pat. It's time for new ads. It is time for new ads. They have new sponsors. But we've also got some remaining ones as of well course. that we've got to bless them. So it turns out we're actually behind because people jumped into our Patreon and sent us much money and we didn't realize. Until they said, oh, what's happening? Yeah. Hey, where's our ads? Yeah. Here it is. We're doing it. You know where you should get dog training equipment in North America now? Who? Mojo Dog Co. Mojo Dog Co. Yeah, mojodogco.com mm. is a website. There's a real store. It's in Chicago. Yep. But it's a website you can totally go to and they pretty much sell everything. They've got mills. They've got training gear. They've got apparel. There's food. There's dog beds. Like it's a legit store. I've and been you've there. been there. I've you? been there, yeah. Yeah, I, you've I, witnessed I, it firsthand. You've I, smelt um, the odors. You've tasted the food. You've run on the mills. I committed theft. I stole a tub. <laughs> I think I was allowed to take it. Too late now. I've got it. I, yeah. I, I just trained with it today. So basically he's paying us Patreon money for you to steal his toys. Yeah. It's okay. a it's a great Klein tug. It's fantastic. A Klein tug? Yeah. Oh, it's you know who else sells a Klein tug? Uh, who? The Buffhead. The OG Buffhead. Really? Yes, he does. He does. Yeah. He, he, in fact, he does. I got from the Buffhead a Klein flirt pole which all the dogs favour over all the other ones. Really? Yes. They you like shouldn't that. allow toy preferences, Len. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. They do. They choose what they want. We have two places that you could get dog training equipment. Yes. MojoDogCode.com. Yeah, in North America. Yeah. And Einzawiener.Buffed. Yep. You know what's a really cool product? The Rowdy Hound Dog Kennel. It's the kennel that attaches, like it's a crate that attaches to your motorcycle. Yeah. So you can take your dog anywhere that you're traveling if you own a motorcycle and yep. you want to take your dog with you. If safely, I owned a motorcycle, safely, if safely. I owned a motorcycle or a dog that wanted to ride one, yep. I would 100% get one. I own a motorcycle. You should get one. I should get one. You should get one. I can see you a little Frenchie hanging yep. off the back of your motorbike. Mm. Yeah, I think that Mando would probably cause me to come off my bike. He yeah. would probably rock around like crazy on yeah. that thing. But yeah, yeah little, little dog like what George Kittredge does, mm-hmm. who's a wonderful bloke and a dear friend of ours. Sponsor of the show. Sponsor of the show. And he takes his little blue healer, which mm-hmm. is an Australian dog. Mm-hmm. And George has been out here in Australia. He knows all about Australia. He mm-hmm. stayed in Australia. He's done it all. Mm-hmm. But he actually takes his little blue healer and he rides her all around the state and he teaches other people how to do it as well with their dogs. So you know, not only does he sell the product, but he trains people on how to use it as well. That's great. It is. You know, he should get everybody to do a big road trip up to Canada. Yeah. You know what they could do in Canada? What's that? Go to Dancroft. Ah, oh, Dan Croft. Jeez, they could watch a puppy class there, couldn't they? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Ooh. And they're doing seminars as well. Really? Yeah, they've got seminars, they've got teaching, they've got education. But as I spoke to Daniel, who runs Dan Croft, mm-hmm. he was telling me all about their amazing puppy classes and they do some kick-ass social media. Yeah, they do. They've got some pretty extreme type of breeds over there that they've got them all under perfect control, like all these American Staffies, they've got all these bull breeds that people complain about, whinge about and say they can't be trained. And mm-hmm. Dan Croft has them doing not only beautiful stays, but they also have them on balls. Mm. So they have the dog you know, like inside a tire and the dog's doing beautiful drop stays while they're at peace and at harmony and somebody's walking around, all the owners are there with the dogs. They're having a great time. Incredible. Yeah. Oh, I bet those dogs are well conditioned and healthy. Yep. Yeah. How would they do that? Probably the best way is to get yourself some canineceuticals. Have you been using it? I have actually. No shit, like jokes aside. Remy was circling the drain. He was in bad shape. And yeah. I said to Narelle, hey, I want to try and get him back in condition, mm. see how much longer I can get from him. Because like the mind is willing, but the body is weak. Yep. And so she hooked me up with all the right things and he's a million times better. In fact, he's actually better than he has been in you know probably two years. And you did a really cool social media content for Narelle the other day, which he really appreciated. I make sweet reels, bro. You do. Yep. You are pretty good with your reels. Again, all jokes aside, I'm not just saying this because Narelle's my wife. I make this very clear, but she's, what? 
She's actually a genius with that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. When other people are sort of relaxing and kicking back, I know people are busy and they've got things to do, but Narelle reads white papers. She's doing everything. She's always looking how she can improve the standards in a dog's life. Like, she actually amazes me. She's Mm. very, very industrious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Mojo Dog Co. Yep. Eins a wiener. Eins a wiener. Mm Mm-hmm. Rowdy Hound. Rowdy Hound. Dan, Dan Croft. Pharmaceuticals. Yep. Yep. Thank you all very, very much. You guys sponsor the show. If you want to support the show, support them. Yes. They're the place to get the gear. Yeah. And if you get into Patreon and you tick that box, just know that we don't check that very often. <laughs> yeah. So you've got to tell you us. Gotta, you've got you, you you to shoot us a message. Yeah. It's fine for you to let us know. We really appreciate you. We'd started off our shows talking about some of our new attributes, things that we've got. Yeah. And we would never have got that without Patreon support. It's That's Patreon right. that pays our bills. All right. Enjoy the show. And our sponsors. Enjoy the sponsors. (laughs) Welcome back to the Canon Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm at my house, but I'm joined by my co-host, Glenn Cook, who's at the studio. Hi, mate. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm wonderful. What's news? What's going on out there? Anything exciting? Yeah, lots. We're right in the thick of the Christmas, New Year, school holiday season. So the place is still chock-a-block. We're at peak capacity. We've got staff everywhere. Same as always, staff are doing a great job. It gets hot. It gets sticky. They get tired. This is the time. Mm. This is right at the time where they really start fatiguing because they're pushing themselves they're working long hours. There's lots of mouths to feed. There's lots of exercises to do. There's lots of updates on pets that need to be done. So there's a lot of work. There's a lot of moving parts at this time of year. And you put that into 11 facilities and there's a lot of young ladies that are really busting their hump at the moment to get everything done properly. But I'm proud of them. They're doing a really good job. They're working hard. They're putting in the hours. I think it's been a really good year for healthy pets and pets doing well overall. It's the same thing as schools and everything like we've said in the past. You just can't guarantee that all the kids, they're not going to scuff their knee or not going to get a cold or come home and give the family COVID or whatever. You know, all Mm. those sort of things go on and it happens. But majority said we're doing very well with it. So all told, very good. I have been traveling to Queensland just with staff. I was at Brisbane and then we went to Townsville last week and hired a trainer up there as well. So Canine Evolution is breaking into some new territories, which we're really excited about. We're building the team. So Andrew Clark is on board, as I told you. Um, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, He's come on. Has he started yet? Yeah, he started. We've been in meetings all day yesterday and today. And yeah, he's doing great. He's really looking forward to taking on board. He's been flying solo for a long time, but he's really looking forward to being part of a bigger team and he's excited about it. So it's great to have him on board. He's a good guy. He's a very stoic sort of personality and- He's been doing a lot of dangerous dog work with councils and local area and so forth. And he brings a lot of experience to the table for the staff now that if they've got any surprises with dogs that come in, Andrew can quickly jump into it and help rescue it. I've done things like that in the past, but Andrew's certainly going to be jumping into that now. And the great thing is is that a lot of my focus now is back on to canine evolution. So I'm striding back into the dog training role pretty seriously at the moment, which is, it's good. I'm excited to work with the team. So yeah, that's what's been happening. Lots of stuff. It's got to be pretty exciting for you because you've been in that managerial role for so long, sort of overseeing everything to now be back like more on the tools in the, the dog training section of everything. It must be pretty exciting. Like you, when we go and work with some of the government agencies and you speak to the people who, you know, are on the floor and they're working on the tools and they're working with the dogs and they get that offer of promotion, they think, oh, I love the extra stripe, but it means that I can't play with dogs anymore and I can't go out and do the cool stuff with the guys or the girls anymore. I just can't do it. You know, Mm -hmm. like I've literally got to be in the office directing. Look, it's been fun and I've enjoyed everything we're doing. But the great thing is, is because the company has taken an exponential leap and grown forward and, you know, we're getting into that serious, very big side of the company, we're bringing on a lot more area managers and a lot more people who are sort of taking care of jobs that many of us were wearing a lot of hats and we were just fucking exhausted. We just didn't have the budget at one stage. There's a transition where everybody goes through between little company to big company And the transition in between, as you're going through that, you're sort of on the cusp, you're on the tipping point, but you just don't have enough money to bring on some hard hitters right then. 
And you've either got to take a leap of faith and hope that it goes off with a bang and the income comes in to support it, or you've just got to wait until the money's definitely there and then you can definitely support it. So mm. we kind of had to wait for a little bit of time. There were a lot, I mean, with kennels and facilities all the time, and especially a lot of our older facilities, they just need constant fixing up and constant repairs and things that where money has got to be spent. And it's just every time you put your hand in your pocket, you literally got to come out with tens of thousands of dollars. Mm. You know, we had plumbing work at Dural that happened not long ago when we had all those serious floods. We were getting some concerning levels of water that were coming through and just the drainage just couldn't support it. So we had to get into our plumbers to come and quote us. And to get the plumbing to a suitable size where it could transport the water, because what the kennels were doing was basically interrupting where the water wanted to go. I was watching the trend and the behavior of the water and I told the plumber, I said, look, the other guy that was here had no clue. He didn't know what he was doing. He was offering us up all these solutions, which were just shit. And I told him at the time, I said, mate, these are shit. This is not going to work. You're basically, you know, it's like going to war with an air rifle. That's it. That's what I'm dealing with. I said, I'm the one who's up all night with heavy duty pumps, pumping water out of drains and trying to get the water out of kennels. I said, there's no point in charging us X amount of dollars and putting in this. So our plumber, Gus, at the moment, he's a good guy. He sat down, listened to me, and he said, I know exactly what you need. Uh, he said, I, I agree with you. I think you're right what you're saying. But the unfortunate side of it is it's going to be 60 grand minimum by yeah. the time we're out there for a week, ripping up the ground, reconcreting everything, putting in these massive, massive pipes in the ground and doing it properly. And it's now it's done properly. Mm. And the great thing about that was we had a heavy rain the other day. We had about 30 mil fall on us in no time at all and there wasn't a drop in the kennels. It didn't even yeah, didn't even get to go in there. It just swelled into the into the drain, went in there like a mad bitch and, and flew off down the other end. And for me and for the staff, because it stresses the shit out of the staff too, you know, yeah. uh, they've got enough to worry about without worrying about water flowing into kennels and then, you know, moving dogs around or if we're full, what we're going to do next. So that's now not a problem for us. So those thing, things like that are exponentially great. And, yeah, I agree with what we were originally talking about, our original line of conversation was it is good to be back on the tools again. I'm actually excited about this new project because what Andrew and I are going to be focusing on more so in our company Blake, who's come on board with us, he's going to be focusing on the resorts, the pet resorts, and I'm going to be focusing on the training. So we've got our own projects to do. I didn't know how I'd feel about it at the start. I didn't know whether I'd be missing out on something, but I actually feel like I'm gaining everything because I'm actually getting to do something that I'm very familiar with and that I like. I'm comfortable working with the team. And the team that we've got at the moment, we've got Verity that's here and Steph, Andrew, We've got Nick. Now we've got Tim who's up in Townsville. So all these people are coming board. We've got just another girl that was our daycare girl, Lauren. She's coming on board. She's going to be our daycare and training person. Oh, awesome. We've got some really good people that are jumping on board. And likewise, they're pretty excited about working closer with me, whereas before I was sort of distant to them and just sort of coming down off the altar every now and then to sort of say, do this and do that. Whereas now I'm going to be walking the trench with them and actually getting amongst it all and getting Mm -hmm. back involved in the the training side of things. So lots of big things that are going on. The owners of the company, Dave and Maria, have said to them, if we do this, if we pull it off, what we're going to do, not only is it going to be big, it's going to be really exciting, but I want to see the money coming back in to support the trainers and everything. They said, yep, absolutely. We're all for it. If you can pull it off and we're making bank from it, we're definitely going to pour it back in. Awesome. Yeah. So it's pretty exciting, man. Yeah, man. It feels good to be a part of a big family and just that combined with pet resorts, like our team is growing enormous at the moment. Mm. It's good. It's not good. It's great because the vast majority of us have transitioned into a better understanding. Like last year, I didn't feel good about it. This year, I feel really good about it. The people that I'm working with and the direction that we're sort of looking at taking things to, it's amazing a few tweaks and a few modifications here and there, how it can change your mindset At one stage, as I said to you, I got into a really flat, bad state of mind and I feel differently about it now. I literally set out with the team yesterday. We met all the day. We're drawing things on whiteboards. We're, you know, like we're having proper fun meetings and talking about visions and sharing ideas and philosophies. And fundamentally what I've been inviting everyone to do is I just said, no matter who you are, no matter where you sit in this organization in canine evolution, I want you to bring ideas to the table. I want you to see things that we can't see and talk to us about them. Like don't think that you don't have anything to offer or become overwhelmed or think, 
you know, like I'm too scared to speak up or my ideas aren't valid. I want everybody to sit at the table and say, this is what I can see. This is what our clients are wanting. And this is what we would like to do going forward. It's very early days yet. It's kind of like in a Phoenix position where it's coming up out of the ashes again. And Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm happy where it is right now. Obviously things in life and business, they vary all over the place. Some days are great. Some days are not so great, but we're just concentrating on workshopping things as a team rather than individuals feel like all of this rests on my shoulders. I'm constantly the one that's responsible for it and the fuck-ups that come along with this all rest with me. Whereas what mm-hmm. I want everybody to do with it is say, let's attack this as a work family. Mm-hmm. We all congregate together and collaborate ideas, thoughts, feelings, and anything that needs to be done to produce the best product we possibly can. So yeah. far, so good, but early days. Sounds exciting, man. It is. It's different. It feels good. It feels good to be feeling good again. It does. Hey, like I, I feel like that in the the whole dog space as well. I know we talked about this the other day, but super motivated, really happy with how things are going. It's interesting. It's like it's a weird time in dogs, but there's a lot of social media brouhaha going on. You know, it's nonstop. Like I don't feel like that's derailed any of my enthusiasm at all at the moment. You're absolutely right. There is a lot of unfortunate comments that are still going around. And I know we said we didn't really want to get into that. And I guess we don't really want to get into that as a topic overall, because unfortunately, there's always going to be people that are bullet makers. And there are people who love firing those bullets. They just (laughs) live for it. They're waiting in earnest to load them in so they can fire them off because that's who they are and that's what they want to do. And they love the attention of being the gun for snarky little bullet maker. Mm. Hey, you had a topic. I do have a topic and it actually sprung into my mind from some of those unfortunate backwards and forwards that was going on on social media. But not only that, it also comes from thoughts and feelings about experiences that I've had and listening to the stories of you and other people in the journeys that they've experienced along the way. I guess what I wanted to discuss with you just as a general topic is what our thoughts and feelings of what a good teacher or mentor actually is. Mm. And I know that in the past we've had topics that are parallel to what we're pretty much talking about today. We've talked about Daniel Coyle's thoughts on what a master coach is and so forth. There was a couple of us having a bit of a chat the other day and we were talking about roles of teachers. And just to kick it off, I feel when I put a lot of thought into this, that a teacher is somebody that should be creating curiosity in people. It's also somebody that shouldn't be enslaving a mind. It should be somebody who's freeing a mind and growing a mind. And part of that is creating that curiosity that we were talking about before, is making people feel comfortable with asking questions, comfortable with growing in new directions, comfortable to be looking outside the square. That's what I feel when I think of a good teacher or when I want to teach people something, it's not that I want these people to be following me around. If you've seen the movie, The Life of Brian, which is another Monty Python movie, which I've had a couple of trends of Monty Python movies, number one, because I liked them and I thought they were quite funny. But all of these people in The Life of Brian were starting to follow around someone that they believed was the Messiah. And he just, he didn't want it. You know, he just didn't want to be this person. It was just an unfortunate mishap. And I mean, it's a comedy. Obviously, it's just all fiction. But I feel that there are some people out in the industry that do want that and they do want to create that sensation where they want people to just blindly follow them. That's in my mind, that's not a good teacher. That is entirely something else. It's more like somebody who is either deliberately or mistakenly fallen into the position of becoming a cult leader. And I I think in, you know, like I've been in those sort of positions before where I've blindly followed and blindly been led by people because I was impressionable. I was young and I wanted to fit in and I was looking for a group to claim or someone to take me in or possibly even if I examine it, somebody to probably fulfill a father figure that I didn't have myself. So I was looking to fill holes that I actually existed in my soul and in my heart. And I felt that like if I make a good impression on this person, if I do what they want me to do, if I say what they want me to say, if I feel the things that they're feeling, then they will look at me favorably and I will be fulfilled and possibly feel elevated, I guess, is the word that I'm Mm. searching for. 
I see people doing that now. I ask myself a question sometimes is, did you want this or is it just happening around you and you don't know what is actually transpiring? If it's something that's just happening around you and it's transpiring, then put an end to it. It's actually not a good place to be. If you want it and you're orchestrating it, you've got to ask yourself, how do you look at yourself in the mirror at the end of the day when you've created a list of peons that are just doing everything you want them to do? You haven't created an open-minded gathering of people anymore. You've just created replicas, even some poor ones at that. Mm. There's a big difference, I think, between a teacher and a mentor, especially in our space, right? Especially Mm. in dog training. I think that like you can be a teacher to heaps, like you can teach to the untold masses. You can create a YouTube video and you can teach whatever it is you want to teach. In my opinion, you know, it could be way off base, but I think that it's kind of a bit of a a one-way delivery, the teacher, right? So like here, I have the information. I'm going to lay it out in a way that you can pick it up and you can understand. And if you have direct questions, I can answer them on the topic. But I think uh, a mentor is something different altogether. And I think that you can teach to, like in my experience anyway, you can teach to many, 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 like almost an infinite number of people you can teach to, right? But I think you can only be a mentor to a very small group of people. Mm. I think that you can only, or, or, you know, just a couple of individuals even at a time, really. And so then there's maybe something in between where like, maybe that's a coach or something like that. Where I think that like maybe those are the three categories, you know, I'm sort of working through this on the spot, but I think that maybe those are the three categories that we have in our space is that there's people who just teach and you can be all three. I think that there's people who just teach and it's just like, here's the information, take it or leave it. And then there's the coach who's like, hey, like two, that's probably a, a smaller group, but still a larger a group nonetheless. And it's, here's the information and exactly how it fits in a more specific way to you. Mm. But then I think the mentor relationship is a whole nother thing. And in my experience, you know, I think that you can only be a mentor to a very small number of people, like count them on one hand type thing at a time. And I think that the mentor and sort of student relationship or mentee relationship, that has to be quite organic. Like it has to come on by itself. That's one of the things when I was working at Sales Sniper, me and Matt actually did a heap of podcasts on it on the Coffees for Closers podcast about how ridiculous some of the coaches are. Because a lot, you know, a lot of what we sold there was coaching and consulting products. And so because the company is really good at it, like they're very, very good at selling into this. There's a heavy vetting process because the overwhelming majority of life coaches are fucking frauds, mm. right? Like they've got their it's their second day. Like they get taught on their like how to be a coach course. Like you only need to be one lesson ahead of the students and all this, right? Like and, and a lot of it's just sort of nonsense. They're teaching things that they have no experience with. They're basically just selling magic water, a lot of them, right? There was a lot of vetting in that company to make sure that we weren't selling any of those kind of scams because the overwhelming majority of them are scams. And so I think that coach kind of level, that's sort of helping people through things and identifying problems specific to them and working towards an individualized goal. I think that's what you do as a coach. But then that mentor, that's a whole nother thing. Like I feel like that's something that has to sort of come on somewhat organically. And I think that you can't, like you see, see people kind of sell mentorships and I just don't, having been mentored many times and I think, you know, having mentored other people, I say no to that more often than I say yes, because I, I think that it has to be a really deliberate fit. I think that you and the person that you're working with have to fit together and be in the right frame of mind for each other. Mm. And I think that very quickly, your, your goal, certainly my goal as someone's mentor is to not be that for long. And I think that's kind of one of the things that I think we see it like when people make a living out of being that, where if I, as your mentor, I have to kind of keep you under me and I have to, I can't give you everything and I have to keep inferring that there's more, even if there isn't have to keep sort of keep you thinking that there is some level of secret knowledge that you haven't quite gotten to yet. Because otherwise, if you're paying me to be that mentor, like why would you continue once we're peers? And I think that's why, like in my experience, I've never paid a mentor and I've never been, I've never been paid to be anyone's mentor. I think that those kind of things just have to kind of fall into place. Mm. And certainly people can be like a paying student, you know, like they can start out as a student, they can start out as, you know, coming into the program in which you coach. But by the time you're 
in that mentor capacity. Like for me personally, I just don't see how you could charge for that. Like, like I suppose you could, if there was a heavy vetting kind of process into it where you, you really establish that you are the right fit and there would have to be like a time limit on it. I suppose there would have to be a limit where you say like, okay, this is only going to happen for this period of time. And then we have to go our separate ways or we have to stop paying. And because by that stage, it should be a peer or whatever. But I think something that we certainly see, not just in our industry, like it certainly is a, it's very prolific in our space. But like I said, having worked at a sales company and seeing behind the scenes of a lot of these sorts of companies, I think that it's everywhere. It's not just us, it's everywhere with the idea that people are indoctrinating, but then keeping small their students. So there's always the inference that like, you're one of my peons, right? Like you're part of my army but you'll never be me. You will always have to defend me. You'll always have to go out and do my bidding on my behalf, but you'll never be me because I won't allow it. Mm. And and I think like walling that garden, I think then becomes a bit, you know, like uh, unethical, but a little bit gross as well, where you say to people like, no, we're one of these and everybody else. Like when you other people who aren't in your crew, that's when I think it starts to get a little bit sort of dirty. Yeah, they're good thoughts, man. I I was thinking as you were talking about my time as an apprentice because that was a mentorship. And I do agree with you. I think that teaching is very broad spectrum where mentoring is very focused. You know, you're sort of getting down into the laser etchings when you're talking about mentoring because mm. when I was an apprentice, it was me and, well, it was a master and apprentice sort of thing. Is The, the yeah. master is the person who has earn the title in whatever field. That was the case for me when I was an electrician. I had a, a master grade and I had myself as a first year apprentice. And basically all you did at the start was carry around the gear and bring the screwdrivers and tried not to trip over. And that was pretty much the job description at that point in time is just don't fuck up. Just do what you're told, wash the cars when you get back to base and empty the ashtrays because people used to smoke back then and all that sort of shit. And then as it sort of goes on, as you mentioned before, as you start to grow and as you start to see trends and behaviors and you start to understand what the role of the business is, then they start trusting you more. They start realizing, you know, you're not awkward. You're still here. You're turning up for work. You're on time. You need to start thinking about what the layout of the job is. So you can start planning things out and pulling cables for me and putting things into place and putting the conduits in place. And that really is a mentoring role because you actually have somebody following you around and saying, okay, now think about it. What have you seen me do in a similar situation? Let me interrupt. I can see you smiling you and hazed? I know you've got something to say. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get hazed as an apprentice? Oh, shit, yeah. Oh, yeah. What's kind of thing? Because that was a while ago, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, um, that was back in the days where not everybody was sensitive to having fun yeah, at work. Yeah, so what's the worst thing that happened to you? At my initiation. That you can talk about. Yeah, yeah. So my initiation was... First year is always just to go through an initiation when you got at work. And it was at the, usually at the end of the year Christmas party. So everybody would chase you and, and you pretended you didn't like it, but everyone did because it was like, it was part of being in the group. So what they did was they put gaffer tape around my legs and they literally wrapped me up like a mummy full of gaffer tape. So I think they used about (laughs) six or seven rolls on me. And then they hoisted me up upside down poured beer down my legs and then they whirled me around and then they threw tomatoes at me and then they let me down and everyone clapped and cheered and made me skull a beer and that was my initiation. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What was yours? Uh, It didn't happen for me. I had a really different experience as an apprentice. So I was an apprentice stonemason, right? And I left school and uh, went straight to doing that. So I think I started on like the 7th of January or something like that, right? So most of my friends went to uni. So they're just all fucking around and doing nothing for ages because uni didn't start till like March. And so I'm immediately on building sites and I'm like 18 years old and never done anything hard in my life ever, like played football, like like genuinely before I started working, like I would have told you the hardest thing I've ever done was play like a, a difficult game of football. Yeah. <laughs> so I was exhausted. <laughs> and I think it was like on my third day, there's this guy that worked for us, Ollie. So I was the only Australian at the company. It was a fully Irish company, right? And then they had this English guy, Ollie started. Ollie had obviously been like really badly picked on as an apprentice in England. And he was so excited about me starting because it was like, finally, he was going to get to, and he was only a few years out of his apprenticeship, right? So he was finally going to get to sort of pass the buck on that. So on like my third day, we're working at this giant 
mega mansion in Clontarf. And we were doing this stone wall down the back. And I was just carrying rocks. Like that was my whole job. And that was my apprenticeship was just carrying rocks and mixing mud. And so I'm carrying all these rocks down from the top down to there. I was exhausted, like beyond tired. So we have our lunch and I fell asleep at lunch. I took my boots off and fell asleep. And when I woke up, Ollie had put my boots in this concrete that had been poured, like one of the foundation things. And he's laughing about saying how I'm going to have to get them out and uh, reset the concrete, whatever. And he's like, take that, you fucking apprentice. <laughs> and I was like, I just said, nah, I'll leave them in there. And he's just, <laughs> the color ran from his face, right? He's like, what? And I was like, nah, I'll just leave him in there. I'll work barefoot, mate. I'll be right. And he, you could see him like, oh, shit. And then Derek, who owned the company, he says to him, Ollie, if those boots set in that concrete, you put them in there, you're paying to have that shit pulled up, right? <laughs> so I'm off mixing mud. <laughs> I'm like mixing mud and smashing rocks as Ollie has to clean my boots out. At, like he has to get them out of the concrete and reset it himself. So immediate backfire. So that was on like the Wednesday. And then on the Friday, yeah, I'm exhausted. Like I've never been so tired in my whole life. So on the Friday, he got my toolbox thing and he like booby trapped it basically. So that at, on Friday afternoon, as we're getting ready to leave, I pick it up and all my tools fall everywhere. Like everything just spills everywhere all over the place. And he's killing himself laughing. Take that, you fucking apprentice. <laughs> <laughs> and in front of the whole crew, was like six or seven guys, I walked over to him. And, um, you know, I've been this size since I was 14, right? So, like, I, everyone thought I was going to be a, a fucking giant. And then I just, like, have been the same size since I was 14. <laughs> so I walk over to this guy and I said, hey, man, I get it. I understand. I, I get that you were picked on as an apprentice and you're super excited about the idea of picking on me. I get it. I fully understand. But if you fuck me around like this again, I'm going to smash your head in with one of these with one of these shovels. <laughs> I held this shovel to his face and I was like, that is not how this is going to go. You are never going to pick on me again or I will beat the fuck out of you because that's how this relationship's going to pan out. And then he just like, poor Ollie just was like, oh no, but this was my time. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the end. It never happened. And then one of the guys that we did have work with us, well, he was a proper like, he would have picked on me heaps had that not happened to Ollie. So he just started picking on Ollie again. So I never, aside, <laughs> from Ollie. That, aside from that, I never got anything. That's my apprenticeship story. That's funny you say that. I had similar experience when I was a first year and one of the third years there, he was probably about 60 kilos, ringing wet, holding two buckets of sand that were soaked. I think he was the whipping boy for many, many years. And by the time I got there, I was 17 years old. I had been doing martial arts since I'd been 13. I was training kickboxing at that stage. I was fit. And I was pretty fierce at that point in time. That's all I did is I worked and then I went back yeah. back to the gym and, and just I was training full on like five days a week. He didn't know that. I never told anyone at work. That's what I did. We were on a job site one day and he walks over to me. He did something and I back chatted him. I deserve probably a, a word, but he came over and he took a swing, not to hit with a closed fist, but like a slap in the face sort of thing. I blocked it. You could just see his pupils just full fucking dilate. He, he just, he just, it was like time froze because I just stood face to face with him and my arm just went up and went bang and completely blocked him. He went, fuck. And I said, yeah, Fitzy, don't do that again or else there's going to be fucking blood spilt. And he goes, no shit. And I said, no shit, man. And I said, seriously, I reckon I like the big bad wolf, I could huff and puff and blow you over. So I said, don't. <laughs> Don't put fucking hands on me, man. I said, I don't believe in that sort of shit. I don't want you to feel like that's a liberty that you can take with me. Just don't put fucking yeah. hands on me. I said, yell and scream all you want. If I fuck up something, I'm happy to wear it. And I said, by the way, I'm sorry for back chatting. That was out of line. I said, if you're going to throw down, man, I said, this is going to be a contest that's not going to fucking go well for you. He left me alone after that. He kind of <laughs> respected me and just left me alone. I'm not that sort of person. I'm not a tough guy that likes beating up on people and so forth, but it's an area that I've been moderately successful in had I had to do it. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think those days, I think they're pretty much over, right? Like I don't think, and for the better, I don't think that bastardizing poor kids like that when they turn up for their first job is, is a nice thing to do. 
Actually, man, I don't know if I entirely agree on that because I think kids have actually got it worse than what we had because we didn't have the internet to follow us home and bully us full stop. What I see, even with adults, like it just doesn't stop. Like they're constantly sitting there scrolling through their phone, reading shitty negative comments from colleagues at work or people from school or whatever it is. We didn't have that. When you left a job, the problems were the next day and if Mm. they were there at all because they'd probably blown over and – you know, things had happened and people had forgotten about it and moved on. But now uh, people are constantly berating and following each other and it's quite horrendous what young kids have to endure these days. Yeah, that's true. You know what's we- a weird thing about that, right? It's like we- we've talked about plenty of times. We get heaps of really good feedback on the show and, and you know, lots of people tell us they like us and whatever. But it's interesting. Every now and again, you get negative feedback. One of the things that I found myself, I caught myself doing the other day, someone sent me a screenshot of someone saying something about me online. And then there's this immediate urge to find more of it. Like, have you ever, have you ever experienced that where you find like when somebody is like, you have that sort of negative interaction online and instead of just going, well, that's that. And I don't mind that. There was this immediate, like, well, I got to check these other places where I know that people are often say unkind things or, or, or don't like me or whatever, right? It was a very strange loop that I found myself in. I would be lying if I said I didn't used to do that. I did find that that was something that seemed to matter to me. However, I've after many years of it, I think that I've re-examined that and I only really get concerned now when it's somebody that I respect or somebody that I care about. And if it is somebody that I care about or somebody I respect, obviously very curious as to why they felt comfortable doing that behind my back, if they do do it behind my back, usually I go and have a confronting conversation with them about it. If it's somebody I don't care about or don't like or anything like that, I don't really pay it much dividends anymore. I just think to myself, that's meaningless to me. And without sounding arrogant, because it's come from other people that I've been discussing this in the past. And there was a good comment online that said, wolves don't concern themselves with the opinions of sheep. If people that aren't on your side or people that, uh, you know, there's just mean spirited people out there saying shitty things. I mean, that's a reflection of them and who they are, Mm. you know, and they're sort of leaving it out there and and open for people to investigate and going, oh, I see what you're all about. I can actually Mm. see a trend in the behaviors that you're putting together. I've now got a snapshot of who you are and what you're capable of. They're their own undoing those type of people, those cyber bullies and those thugs that are out there and the people that feel comfortable doing it behind the screens. What they don't realize one day is they'll do it to the wrong person and that person will fucking hunt them down like a predator, that they will have a very serious problem on their hand one day. And that will be their own downfall. There's plenty of people that's happened to around the world is they've just fucked the wrong person over and that person will kick their door in one day and they will be on all sorts of trouble. It's not that I encourage or invoke those sort of things to happen, but sometimes there's no cure for stupid. People just do the most ridiculous things and they invite the most heinous fucking trouble into their life. You can't tell them, you can't advise them, it's just who they are. Sometimes it's just because they've gotten away with it for so long and sometimes it's just severe mental illness. Whatever it is, Mm. be it upon you to go and fuck with evil people. Hey, here's a question for you. Sure. Who do you think is the best teacher you've ever had? And who do you think is the best mentor you've ever had? Are they the same person or not? Ooh, that's a really good question. Probably one that's difficult to answer on the spot because there's been several people at several different things that have taught and mentored me in varying skills that I've learned across my life. And they've interchanged at different times. So I've got that quote about sitting on the fence. The only good thing that comes of it is getting an full of splinters. So I try not to sit on the fence about those sort of things. But nonetheless, it's a difficult one just to say there's just one. I mean, obviously, I've spoken fondly of Boyd and the times that we've had together. I think things that I did with him and with those group of people back in, I would call it round one of Australian dog training because round one of Australian dog training was definitely my favorite time. I don't think I've ever enjoyed dog training as much as I did then. I don't think there's anything that's come close to it for me. I I don't feel the highs about it anymore, which is sad because I try to get them back, but I don't have it. I don't feel that fellowship that we used to have back then. There was definitely a myriad of things that happened 
during that time where I just felt I was probably the most alive that I've ever felt in my life. So, you know, I credit Boyd for a lot of things that we learned back then. I think he was very instrumental in bringing things to the, well, bringing structure and um, dynamics to the table, things that weren't seen in the country at the time. And, you know, we could go on and say, well, things have evolved since then. They have. I mean, dog training, the, the things that we were doing were groundbreaking back then in Australia. Like nobody was doing that. And that's why I say to a lot of people when we start talking about how people have got rights to do things, well, you can thank Boyd and me and other people at that time because we're the people who campaigned for that during the early days. You know, we're the ones that fucking wore the the slings and arrows of the, the violent oppressors to stand up for people to be able to do those sort of things. So we were really in the coalface at that point in time to preserve a balanced state of training and to bring in what other people then expanded on and added to and brought new knowledge in and then trends started to come in from other countries more as information was easier to access and the internet sort of gave us way to being able to be immediately reinforced, not reinforced, but to be immediately connected with different trainers and different people around the world. Alec Jones, I've mentioned him many times before. I feel that Alec was very instrumental in helping me grow up when I needed to. He sort of got me out of a rut where I, I got into a bit of a rut. I just think I'd been doing the same thing for a period of time and Alec was one of those people who forced me to think differently and to embrace new ideas and to be a student all over again and stop feeling like I had mastery over my domain when I certainly didn't. I can't thank him enough for doing those sort of things. One of my old martial arts teachers, a guy called Russell, when I was a young, young kid, he was a Vietnam veteran and a hell of a good guy, you know, like he'd seen some shit, he'd had some dark pasts. He was haunted by things that happened. He never spoke of them. He didn't feel that it was ethical or decent to tell these stories to young children. He said the most thing, well, he said the thing that my grandfather said to me was war is a hell of a thing and sometimes you're doing it for the right reasons and sometimes you're not. Because we used to press him a fair bit to talk about it because you thought it was cool back then because movies like Rambo and all those sort of things were coming out but he never really wanted to expand in it. What he did want to do was he wanted to teach people how to control themselves. And when you hear the teachings of Jordan Peterson, where he talks about being capable of violence, but choosing not to, Russell was very much that sort of person before Jordan Peterson became popular for that statement. That's what Russell was all about in his mentoring was teaching people who were capable of violence. And I was a violent youth because I was very angry and disappointed with how things were turning out in my life. And Russell helped me change my mindset by teaching me that I could control myself. He was my first ever non-accredited therapist. He listened to me. He sat with me. And there was not just me. There was a group of people. But Russell had this mantra that he said, if you bring your shit to my house, you're never welcome back here again. Because we had a dojo. We used to go and train there, but we used to do training back at his house. So, you know, like his wife had cooked for us. We'd have barbecues out on the lawn. And we had like a fellowship of, and it was boys. There was no girls back then, but it was all, just all boys. Russell treated everybody with respect. He treated everybody like you're part of the family. And everybody loved going around there. You know, like I felt early fulfillment. I think that was the first time I ever felt like I was part of something bigger than myself and that I could feel that I could be a violent person, but I could control it. And he gave me tools to controlling and understanding that fighting was a capability, not a right or not something that you would do with the intent of, of hurting and harming another human being, but defending yourself or defending another human being. He taught us what honor was and how to have integrity and, and what it meant to be honourable as a human being. If I could probably talk fondly about a person that I really, I think about a lot and I miss him. He, I think he passed away um, several years ago. I lost contact with him just through time and moving on. No bad blood at all. You know, like we spoke for many, many years afterwards, but he was a good guy to have in my corner. And, and I think the quote that you mentioned many years ago, which comes from Daniel Coyle's book, when you, the student is ready, the master coach will appear. I needed him in my life at that point in time. I needed a, I needed somebody who believed in me. And Russell knew that I was a pretty broken kid at the time. He knew that I had a lot of skeletons in my closet. He knew that 
if someone didn't help me that I, I would be in a, in a in a bad place. And I recognize that in myself too. I think that had someone like him not been in my life and I had I not had Dawn in my life, the person that I am now would be, it's kind of like when you see those movies of, of uh, alternate realities where you see a person who's fundamentally good and I believe I'm fundamentally good. I know I'm flawed and I've got all, you know, other things that I need to work on. But had I not have had, especially Dawn, had I not have had Russell and Dawn in my early development, I think that I would be a fundamentally bad person who would have taken, I'm choosing my words carefully, but I probably would have enjoyed hurting people to feel healed in myself. Mm-hmm. I can't express my gratitude at having a few people like that. I guess if I've got to drop one more person in there, no, I might not actually talk about this person on this one because I'll probably start crying about it because it's. I feel like <laughs> I, well, well, now I feel like I've got to. I'm going to keep this one short. I had a good business mentor, Bruce, and I won't name the company or his last name, but he was one of the first people who gave me a bit of a break. I was sort of in between jobs at the point in time and I didn't take this job because it was a career I wanted to get involved in. It was just a job to fill a hole. I was going through a bit of a bad time with dog training. That's when I left the industry for a period of time. I was just working in a warehouse for a period of time. And he used to come down and he said, man, what are you doing down here? You're too smart for this. I know you'll be out of here in six months if I don't put you in a better place. He said, why don't you come up and learn sales and marketing and all those sort of things? He said, I started in the warehouse and he said, but I was a bit of a knucklehead. He said, you're smarter than that. He said, come up and learn sales. I want you to learn from the team. I did it and I loved it. But what I loved, do you remember the old series, Boston Legal? Danny Crane. Danny Crane. Yeah, it had William Shatner and two good actors, but um, William Shatner played this legendary lawyer called Denny Crane. It was a funny show. He used to always introduce himself to everybody as um, Denny Crane. He was the legend, the man. At the end of every episode, they'd always sit together and share a glass of whiskey on the balcony and talk about their day, but also express an affection for each other. And Mm -hmm. Bruce and I used to do that. We used to sit in his office and he was like a father figure to me. He was a good man. And we used to have a glass of whiskey in his office at the end of work and just have a few laughs about things. And he was a funny guy. He was an old knockabout and I admired him and I liked what he was teaching me about business. And I appreciated that the opportunities it gave me. So what happened was the guys in the warehouse, they were doing the wrong thing. I'm not going to say what they did, but they were doing the wrong thing. And Bruce knew that they were doing the wrong thing and one day he asked me directly, we were having a conversation and he said, did you see them doing this? And I said, no. The problem was Bruce saw me next to them while they were doing what they were doing and right there and then I just saw his affection or his friendship or whatever you call it drift from his eyes. There was Mm. basically like a his eyes just glazed over and I'm very observant with watching how people move and act around me. And I just knew right there and then that I'd fucked up. It was a terrible thing. I just didn't know how to communicate it with him at the time. I was too sort of proud to apologize about it. I left not long after that. Our relationship just faded off. Bruce appeared busy and preoccupied with things and the door was closed to me. Basically there was a period of time that went by that I plucked up my courage to go and apologize because I felt like I needed to because he had my back and I did the wrong thing. I found out he'd passed away and I fucking, it fucked mm, with me big Jesus. time. So that is something that I have to carry with me still every day. It's one of the things that when you talk about the things that keep you up at night, that's one of the things that keeps me up at night. I'm so disappointed that I took the side of people that would have parked a fucking bus on me over somebody who gave me opportunity. I tell this story to people here at work and I said because there are people that will do this to people. They will literally bring them in only to use them to to tell them what the gossip is and then literally fucking light a fire on them or park a bus on them. And mm. these same these same jackals would have done the same thing to me. Bruce treated me with dignity and he treated me with respect and he was a good man and he was a good mentor. He taught me skills. He gave me opportunity. There is a saying that you never look a gift horse in the mouth. Well, I've, I've just completely fucked that up. 
there are some things I'm not sorry for and there's some things that I am and that is definitely one of the things I'm very sorry for. I messed up a friendship. I messed up an opportunity. And I know that I've got to move on from that, but those things are difficult to move on from. When I try and talk to other people about that, I say, when you're choosing a side with things, you really got to examine the greater good of what's happening here. Are you doing this for just the instant hit or are you examining what's going on around you long-term? Are you trying to accelerate things with the wrong type of people who are literally going to lead you astray and leaving the people behind that are really going to have your back? Sometimes that's just a personal experience that people have to go through themselves. And it was certainly one for me. I made a mistake. I followed the wrong crowd. I let someone down who was a genuinely good person for me and asked for very little and gave a lot back to me because they saw it in themselves to offer that opportunity. I think the lesson that I've learned from it is that I'll never do those sort of things again with the wrong type of people. I have no interest in joining those crews or hanging with those peoples. doesn't matter how cool those kids are. I just know that when you've got the warmth and the affections and the respect or the dignity that somebody who is worthwhile giving it to you, I will never, ever, ever betray someone like that ever again. A bit of a bummer story, and I got through it without getting overly emotional about it, but I think about those people regularly. And certainly Dawn. I've talked to you and the listeners about Dawn before and what a great mentor she was for me. She was one of my definite, fundamental, foundational people that saved me and gave me sanctuary. She was the first safe person that I really had in my life. My mum was great. I should add my mum was a good person too, but my mum had a lot of her own demons that she was dealing with and a lot of lot of problems and that was distracting her. And I just think once again, I needed a person and I, I, I was certainly afforded the right person. How about yourself? The reason I was asking about it is I think that it sort of points to the difference in those, in those roles. And like all my sort of top examples are actually outside of dogs I had a teacher in school that was just an exceptional teacher, like yep. not an amazing guy, you know what I mean? Like I, I still remember his name, Mr. Kenny, like he was the religion teacher because he was trained as a priest, but then never got ordained. Funny story, he got glandular fever just before he was meant to be ordained and then like got sort of back squatted, had to do it six months later, but then got married in that time. It was like, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> but he was just a really good teacher and just yep. was really good at like explaining things and showing concepts and stuff. He was a woodwork teacher as well. The best coach I ever had was a shooting coach that I had in the army. And then the best mentor I ever had, again, was one of my CSM that I had in the army. So like, I think that the, like I've categorized all those things sort of differently in my own brain. Like I'm sure that, you know, if you can look in the dictionary and see the, the true difference between those things. But I think I've had people in my life that have fulfilled all of those. And certainly say like in, in dogs, like I would say Bart has done all of those things for me, right? So like was a very much a teacher to begin with, like, hey, these are the skills and this is how you're going to do them, right? Like, and my early interaction to learning from him was at a seminar like everyone else. We were hosting it, but I was just there learning it, you know? And so it's just like, here's the information, process it however you do. But then I think that next step in that is then the coach where it's like, no, here's the information and how to process it specifically in this moment for you. You know, it goes beyond sort of the overarching, this is how it goes down to, oh, well, in this exact moment, you should do it this way. Mm. And that's, I think, a coach. But then I think that mentor role is when it's like, hey, you're ready for this. You know, like, and, and I still remember Bart saying like, you know, you need to start teaching this, right? Like it was it was at that point where it's like, okay, now that takes on that mentor role. But I think they're different things. And that's what I mean. Like in our space, I think people, you really need all three. And that all three can be the same person for sure. Or they can be three completely different people. And you have a many and various of them all. But I think a teacher just gives you the hard skills. This is what they are. Apply it or don't, whatever. This is how it works. Mm. But then that coach is more specific. And I think with a mentor, I think a lot of people in our industry don't necessarily fully understand how a mentorship probably should work. You know, like I think that people, when they come to you and they say like, well, what do I do here? You tell me what to do. That's the role of a teacher. So like, I think that that's where people sort of get a little bit confused where it's like, I'm in this situation. What should I do? Rather than like a mentor should really know what's going on, right? Mm. Like if mentor should be sort of very plugged into your life, I've done that for some people and I, I continue to have it done for me daily. Like I have, you know, numerous mentors across different areas. I certainly consider you a mentor of mine. You know, like there's lots of different aspects where you look to different people for various bits of advice, but also 
I think as well, like if someone is your mentor, it's when their opinion is welcome without being asked for, right? So like, I think that that's one of the things I think if you think you have a mentor and they're not stepping in and giving you unsolicited advice, then they're probably not. Like if they're, if they're not a person that just has your best interests at heart and is looking for like, hey, what's the right thing for you should do and keeping an eye on you, mm. perhaps keeping an eye on you from a distance, but at least keeping an eye on you and being like, hey, what are you up to and, and how's that going to affect you long term? And maybe not even talking you out of things or stopping you doing things, but making you evaluate a little bit better and looking at the bigger picture and saying like, you know, have you thought this through? Have you have you been down these branch plans and have you considered the long-term effects of what you intend to do? For me, those are the differences. And, and I think within our industry, we have all three and people can be all three to you, but you need all three and, mm. and think that you should have many teachers. I think that you should learn from lots of different people. I put up a post in our thing the other day, you know, saying about how people were asking about Nipopo versus TWC and which one do you learn? And I was like, learn them both and learn if you can't afford to go to Bart or Ivan, like learn it from somebody else or learn their interpretation of it, which people flew off the fucking handle about. There were people upset about that. And it's like, that's how things work. You can't always go to the the original source of everything. And I think that if you're at your club and you're having an issue with a dog or whatever, you're somewhere. And then you say to like, someone says, oh, here's a trick I learned from this person. You're not going to say to them like, oh, stop. I don't want to hear it from you. I'm going to go back to that person, <laughs> right? You take on that information there in the moment from that person, because they're going to be the teacher. If that works or you're interested, then you start working your way up the chain and you start going up to like, up to the original source if that's appropriate, right? Mm. If that's where you need to head. But yeah, I think like for me, the best mentor I ever had was Griffey. He was a guy I was in the army with. He went on to be the RSM. He's still in the army. I can't say his real name, but he was fantastic and really like made me do a lot of shit that I didn't want to do. Like it was like, but it was all for my career and explained it to me, not just like, Hey, you know, like he had the capacity to boss me around. He was my boss. at the army. He could literally tell me to do whatever. And I had to do it. But instead of doing that was always like, Hey, this is, I need you to do this. You're not going to want to do it, but this is why I need you to do it. And it's not for me. It's for you. Mm. The best thing he ever said, and, and this is why I had such a strong loyalty to him was and when I first started working for him, we'd worked together, but I'd ne he'd never been my direct supervisor before. And when he was, he sat me down and he said, he goes, mate, this is the order of priority of what's important to me. He said, you and your family are the most important thing to me. So you never need to worry if you've got an issue going on with your family, if there's anything actually wrong with you or, or whatever, you tell me and I'll cut you away from everything that we're doing. And that's the hundred percent my focus He goes, my second priority is your career. I need you to know, because he was my boss and I was at the training at the school. He's like, I need you to know that your career is my priority. Like, I want you to leave here being promoted and going into the role that you want, but not like short-term goals. Like we're talking long-term goals. I know you get it because at that point I was going to be in the army forever. And then he said, and the last thing that's actually important to me is your job, your actual day job. That's the last thing I give a fuck about. So know that those two priorities to me is you, your, you and your personal life, your family. The second is your career. Know that I will drop everything at the drop of a hat. I'll change the course to look after those things. So just do your job as best that you can focus on doing that, knowing don't reserve anything for like, don't not take a course or don't hold anything back because if one of those other things become more important, it will take priority for me. Mm. And as a result, it meant that I was like 100% focused on my job. And I knew that at any minute I could say, oh, I've got to go. And he'd be like, yeah, go. No questions asked. Go. If it's a personal thing, like you have to go, don't don't even tell me what it is. And so long as, you know, I never, I never took advantage of that. I'm sure that some people probably did if they were in the same position, but it just meant that I could work knowing that he had my back. And I think that's the role of a true mentor is to actually support you. And he used me, you know, like I fucking did a lot of work for him and, and we achieved a lot of things together and they were achieved in his name because he was the boss. But he also made sure that I was progressing to be him because that was the goal, right? Yes, like I exactly. wanted to go up to be that. It was never to sort of keep me less than him. It was always to make sure that I had the capacity to become him at some point. Mm. And I think that's my advice while we're on this topic and before we wrap it up, I think that's the idea is that if you have a teacher, you have a, a coach, you have a mentor, the goal of them should always be in one capacity or another is to lift you up and make you, you know, at least be at the same level of them, if not overtake them eventually at some point. Mate, um, I entirely yeah. concur. I think that is absolutely sage advice. And I believe 
as I've said to you several times, and if I haven't said it enough, I should say it more. I believe in my heart and soul that you're an outstanding mentor to people. You've got extremely old head on young shoulders. The way that you process things, the way that you think about things. There have been times where you've saved me from myself many times where I've been reckless in some of the decisions or thoughts that I've been having at the time. And I can count on you to be one of those people where you can counsel me and say, mate, think about what you're saying here and think about what you're doing. That's important to me, mate, because I feel cared for and thought about. And I feel a deep connection when I've got people on my side that will tell me when I'm doing something wrong. They don't just sit there silently and go, well, you seem to have everything under control. See you later. (laughs) And I know that you do that for a lot of other people as well. I've seen you go out of your way and put a lot of time connecting the dots for people and saying, hey, there is a bigger picture outside of what this conversation is turning into. How about you simmer down and have a little bit of a think about that for a period of time? Good mentoring and master coaching or whatever you want to call it, teacher or whatever you want to call it. You said it well before. I believe it's about opening minds and elevating personalities and people to saying there is a legacy here of growth and expansion of not just following the line and doing as you're told. Because as we said very early on, I don't believe that that is good teaching. I don't believe that allowing people to become just another you, cloning people is a great thing. I believe that when you show people, here is everything I know, take it and grow with it. Take it, to, take it to new levels. This is the seed. Grow something magnificent out of it and then pass it on to somebody else and let's see what they can do with it. I feel as a teacher that is an inspiring aspiration to have is to say, I gave everything that was given to me to somebody else and look what they did with it. It's just profound how magnificent they made whatever they made out of it. And I feel proud it's nice to feel that you had something to do with it. We talked about this a while back with people like Josh Blau and several people like him. There's another guy up further from him, John Ortego. He's another wonderful guy that I've been watching him grow and prosper and doing his social media well and working with dogs, but they're not locked in my fucking yoke. I don't have a foot on their throat stopping them doing what they need to do. I would never forgive myself if that's the type of teacher that people thought I was is that you had to be under my foot to get anywhere. It's Mm. it's basically, guys, this is what it is. We have conversations about things. They go off and learn from you and they go off and learn from other people. And I couldn't be happier for them. I just think to myself, isn't that wonderful that they're going off and collecting and collating information and they're categorizing it into a format that makes sense to them and it makes sense to their customers and to the people that they're dealing with. They're enriched with more knowledge. They've got access to different tools and different thoughts because of all of the good people that were in their lives. Likewise to me and likewise to you. I can never be grateful enough from all those people I spoke of before and many of the others And it didn't matter whether they played a very small part or an extremely large one. I'm forever grateful to anybody that gave me time and shared information with me or even shared a meal and a conversation at the time because I learned something from them. The hope in life is as you get older, you do get a little wiser and some things you do and some things you don't. But the hope that you you actually have in life is that you have good reflections on the experiences that you gain and the things that you see. Sometimes when people are doing the right thing and when you can see that they need a course correction, all you have to do is just give them the most gentlest of nudges to say, this will put you back on track. It's lovely to see the gratitude of people saying, hey, yeah, I was so deep into my way of thinking that I didn't even consider that. And that's changed my whole outlook. Like my stars are completely Mm. realigned just from that gentle little push. It's a nice feeling that you were able to ascertain the knowledge from the experience of others to actually give them that little push in the the right direction. True. I reckon that sounds like the right place to leave it. Sounds good. Well, that's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is jump into Patreon. A few bucks a month gets you an extra episode in there. Ten bucks gets you a live stream and, you know, you can pay as much as you want. I would like to thank Joe Hodge 
for his generous. Oh, yeah. Joe, thank you, man. Sincerely, not once but twice now you've done a pay it forward for Patreon where you have paid for other people to have an experience in Patreon on our behalf. Thank you, mate. That's extremely generous of you and we thank you. It's a wonderful consideration. As we said before, we... We got gutted by a lot of bills and there were some projects that we were sort of thinking about having our eye on. Also want to thank the other people when we did do a bit of a call to arms about maybe helping us with some Patreon to recover some finances. There were certainly some people (laughs) that jumped in and, and it didn't go unnoticed. So I read all the names of the people. Patreon sends me an email, sends us an email, I should say. It goes to the Canine Paradigm email that Pat and I both read together. So everyone that contributes, your name comes up. We know who you are. Please don't think. We appreciate you. Yeah, yeah, we do. And please don't think that it ever goes unnoticed. I feel bad about poor Joe Hodge. <laughs> I told him. He gave me a shirt. Uh, when I met him uh, in Chicago, he gave me a shirt. It's a good looking shirt wearing, too. I like his logo. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And I was wearing it one day and I was walking this like green dog. I had no control over this dog and nor was I going to get any control. Like it wasn't the purpose. I was just taking it out and a bunch of people saw me having no control <laughs> It's <laughs> like 18 month old Mally <laughs> wearing his shirt. <laughs> Are you a dog trainer? And I was like, ah, oh, kind of. Yeah, like. I work for Joe Hodge. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was not a good advertisement as I was getting this green dog jumping all over me. But anyway, that was it. Uh, so yeah, thank you, Joe. Yeah, thanks, man. And everyone else. Yeah. Another way you could jump into Teespring, get yourself some cool merch. And there's always cool gear in there that you can get. And if you want to get in contact with us, best way to do that is jump into the Facebook discussion group. At some point, I'm going to figure out Discord and get that going. But that's a little while off. That's on my list of things to do. But if you want to get in contact with us directly, you could shoot us an email. We are info at thecanonparadigm.com. Goodbye.